This is an NAC podcast. Welcome to the NACOcast. I'm Nick Atkinson. Every music teacher from time to time, often in moments of frustration with dim-witted students, will eventually resort to the old standby. Sing! But what exactly do they mean when the student in question is playing a trumpet or a tuba? Brass players and singers actually have some important things in common. They use their bodies to produce sound. Singers also use their bodies to amplify their sound. Brass players use their instruments to amplify the vibration of their lips. Singers and brass players also use speech patterns to shape the notes they want to produce. Different configurations of the oral cavity and a variety of tongue positions have a big part to play in tone production. Most problems encountered by brass players come because of a weakness in one or more of the basic areas associated with sound production. We make a sound on a brass instrument by blowing air over the lips in order to make them vibrate in the mouthpiece. The note is defined and shaped by the tension of the lips and the type of articulation used to begin the sound. The tone quality and volume are determined by the size and speed of the air column and the concept of the sound in the mind of the player. Simply put then, we need air, best described as wind because wind moves, efficient vibration of the lips, which we call buzzing, and articulation, which is really a fancy word for speech and covers the various ways we use our tongues and shape our oral cavities. But first, we must have an idealized sound or song in the brain that determines everything that comes afterwards. This last point, often overlooked, is vitally important. Before we act, we must think and imagine the sound we are about to produce. If we have never heard the sound of a trombone or horn, we imitate the sound of the teacher, or the recorded sound of a musician we admire. The more, the better. Imitation is the most powerful tool for learning. It's how children learn to walk and speak. So it is with musicians. Eventually, the first rough sounds are replaced by a more refined sound, then by a refined individual sound with style and personality. The last stage can prove difficult if the student has no imagination or relies simply on physical solutions to musical shortcomings. Which brings us back to the old admonition. Sing! Many young players are more concerned about playing as many notes as possible as quickly and loudly as possible. They often neglect simple tunes that require more musical subtlety to bring off. It's a big mistake, because most listeners are more moved by a beautiful melody than a thousand notes a minute. That's why there will always be a simple tune or two on every audition, and that's why brass players have to spend a lot of time learning how to play vocalises. My old tuba teacher, Arnold Jacobs, used to say that a musician is like an actor delivering musical lines. In other words, we have to tell a story in musical sound. Another early influence, Ken Nielsen, my choir director at the University of Calgary, used to say, don't sing words, sing vowels and consonants. 
In order to make a musical phrase work, we need clarity in every detail. Notes must recognizably begin and end. The notes in a musical phrase correspond to the words in a literary phrase or sentence. If, in either case, the word is garbled or unclear, the meaning is lost. But just as important as the clarity of the sound is the way we make the phrase rise and fall through the use of various stresses, whether a crescendo diminuendo, forte and piano, or, more subtly still, through the shading and colouring of the instrumental voice. This is why listening to great singers like Tito Schipa can be of enormous help. Let me give you an example. Here's a recording of a Scarlatti song, Son Tutta Duole, recorded by Schipa in 1939. Several things are obvious straight away. First, the scrupulous diction led by the clear consonants and followed by the shapely beauty of the vowel sounds. It makes you wish everyone spoke Italian. The vibrato is not too wide or overbearing, but is used to colour the voice and to enrich the vowels. 
As the volume increases, the voice becomes more powerful, but doesn't spread. Instead, the sound remains focused, and the vowels become even richer and more resplendent. The phrasing is immaculate, no gasping or unevenness in the vocal line. So what's a brass player supposed to learn from all this? Well, <clears throat> we use our tongues to articulate, so we have to be careful to use the tongue as an agent of clarity, not an agent of power. The power comes from the speed of the wind over the lips, which creates an efficient buzz and stabilizes the pitch. Articulation can best be described in terms of speech. The syllables ta, to, tu, and ti are the most commonly used. As you move from ta to ti, you can feel the air column in your mouth becoming more compressed. In fact, the T syllable actually diverts the air column higher towards the nasal cavity. The tongues of brass players most often associated with the letter T must always work in conjunction with the vowel that follows. That is to say, the R, O, and U are more important factors in the tone than the initial T sound. These vowels ensure that the tongue stays low in the mouth and doesn't block or distort the even flow of wind to the lips. The charming duet in Mozart's Magic Flute, where Papageno finally meets his Papagena, is a good example of what I'm talking about. In fact, the letter P is a useful substitute for an overheavy T when we are working on articulation. The word attack, so often used to describe the first instant of sound, can often stimulate bad musical thoughts, which can lead to an overuse of the tongue at the expense of the vowel, producing a hard, dull, and aggressive sound. I prefer the word release, which implies a sense of freedom and relaxation of the sound, not to mention a greater degree of control in the final product. That's why beautiful singing is bel canto and not can belto. If you listen to Skipper, the sound is just there. You are not really conscious of the process, just the product. Now, of course, brass players are sometimes required to use varying degrees of articulation, including occasionally a very hard sound without any color, say when picking out short notes in some Stravinsky pieces. And sometimes we don't use the tongue at all, but begin the note on the breath alone. The best way to approach articulation is not to worry about what the tongue is doing, but what the tongue is saying. The vowel should always dominate. Articulation problems demand a kind of speech therapy. If the tongue is overused at the expense of the wind, the resultant sound will become hard, tight, and explosive. If the tongue is used only as an agent of clear speech and remains subservient to a well-focused flow of wind shaped by vowel sounds, especially O and U, the tone will be rounder and more resonant. In slurring, since there is less tongue required, the vowel becomes even more important. It is essential to blow freely, gently accelerate the wind from note to note to achieve a smooth singing legato. The focus for the wind and the song is always beyond the lips, so that the instrument resonates and amplifies the tone most effectively. That's the real meaning of projection. You don't have to shout. Apart from all the brass playing drills, it's also important to sing. Most of us don't have great voices, but just by trying, we release the creative impulse. Again, we don't have a brass instrument to block our musical thoughts, but when we go back to the instrument after singing a passage, it almost invariably sounds more interesting.
A musician needs to develop his own vocabulary of speech and sound. So a trombone player approaches the solo in the Mozart Requiem differently than the famous passages in Bolero, or William Tell, or Mahler III. Different articulations and sounds are required for each. What Schieber shows us is that the style of the piece governs the musical approach. His diction is careful and clear. His phrasing is shaped by the rise and fall and intensity of the vocal color. In fact, his variety of tone color is particularly impressive. His sound is never forced, but is always well supported on the breath. Above all, we are aware of those luscious Italian vowels and the easy flowing stream of beautiful sound. Brass players have to do the same. The tone quality must never be sacrificed by forcing the sound. When we add volume, we must also add tone, and we have to learn to cover the sound in mezzo voce passages. Schieper does all of these things, and not by accident. Everything is carefully prepared. But the final product has the effect of sounding both beautiful and spontaneous, musically convincing. We are not conscious of the art that conceals the art. Here's another example of Schieper's vocal style, a recording of Scarlatti's Violette from the same 1939 session. Rugiadose odorose, violette, graziose. Rugiadose odorose, violette graziose, violette graziose, voi vi state vergognose, mezzascose, mezzascose fra le foglie, e sgridate le mie voglie, che sono troppo ambiziose. E sgridate le mie voglie, che son troppo, son troppo ambiziose. Rugiadose, odorose, violette, violette, graziose. Rugiadose, odorose, violette, violette, graziose. Violette graziose, voi vi state vergognose, mezzascose fra le foglie, e sgridate le mie voglie che sono troppo ambiziose, e sgridate le mie voglie che son troppo, son troppo ambiziose. Rugiadose, odorose, violette, violette, graziose. Rugiadose, odorose, violette, violette, graziose. Violette, violette, graziose. This is a faster piece, but the lyricism remains. Notice how Schieper slightly emphasizes the initial consonants 
especially that first rolled R, to shape and stress the rhythm more effectively. In fact, the combination of the lively vowels and consonants lends great buoyancy to the song. How does he do it? He energizes the wind that supports the vocal line so that the faster passages are not aspirated but presented as a seamless legato. The wind acts as a sort of invisible power source for the sound. The wind speed accelerates or decelerates depending upon the amount of energy required. It sounds complicated, but if you first imagine the sound you want to produce, you will take in sufficient breath and then use it to produce the desired effect. Now singers certainly have to breathe, but they use very little air compared to brass players. Young brass players are often surprised about the volume of sound they have to produce in order to obtain a consistent tone that has color and power in all dynamic ranges. So we learn to take deep breaths and then keep the wind moving through the phrase. Singers produce tone by vibrating their vocal cords and by resonating their heads and chests. Brass players have to create a healthy vibration to the embouchure in order to make the instrument respond and amplify the sound of buzzing lips. The best way I know to stimulate the sort of activity that leads to a good singing style of playing is to play tunes just by buzzing my lips on the mouthpiece. Funnily enough, I've seen singers buzzing on mouthpieces, usually trumpet mouthpieces. It helps them to get the air forward in the same way that humming moves the voice forward. For brass players, buzzing has several benefits. You have to use more wind to produce a decent sound. You have to create the correct pitch without the help of the instrument. And you have to have some sense of musical style, or you'll just finish up making random noises. Let me demonstrate. I think most people recognize three blind mice. Now, if I close off the sound somewhat, force the sound, use too much tongue, and forget about vowels, it'll sound something like this. So you can tell straight away by just using a vowel sound and blowing the air freely through the mouthpiece that the sound becomes freer and clearer and even more musically satisfying, even though I'm just using a mouthpiece. Now, if insufficient air is a problem, we can also play what we call breath patterns to loosen up the sound. Again, three blind mice. So as you can tell from the sound of the breath, it's very important to remain relaxed, and that way you'll get a much more relaxed and resonant sound. The combination of buzzing exercises, breath patterns, and singing can really help brass players to understand what they have to put into the instrument before anything remotely musical can happen. Once they have done some of this sort of work away from the instrument, it's quite amazing how much better they sound with the instrument.
Perhaps the most difficult thing to teach musicians is style. It's quite easy to make a beautiful but boring sound, but if we imitate great players, especially singers, who are technically and physically speaking the most similar to brass players in terms of sound production, then we have a fighting chance of becoming real musicians. Tito Skeeper was not the most powerful or heroic-sounding tenor of his time, but his voice was perfectly produced and projected, and he could always be heard, as we say, at the back of the hall. But what draws me to him above all else is his sense of style. He was a class act, and we can all learn from him. I'd like to play two versions of the same song, O del mio amato Ben, first by Benjamino Gili, and then by Skipper.
Gilles was one of the greatest tenors of the 20th century, but he doesn't sound his best on this recording. The line is uneven, the rhythm erratic, and too inconsistent even to qualify as rubato. The gruppettos are clumsy, and he aspirates too much to sustain a consistent legato. He also falls into his own favorite trap of operatic moaning and wallowing, which doesn't work at the best of times, and certainly not in a classical aria like this. Let's see what Skipper does. Oh, <laughs> 
a different key, but never mind. This is a much better performance all round. Smoother legato, better rhythm, and he never lets anything get out of control. Skipper's voice was not huge, certainly not as powerful as Gilles, but he uses it more wisely and efficiently, so that the climaxes sound more impressive because of his finely produced soft singing. Musical taste varies. It would be boring if everyone liked the same sounds and styles. Brass players nowadays have the advantage of great teachers and excellent instruments, but the human factor remains. Every player has to develop his or her own sense of sound and style. And, as I said at the beginning, it's an advantage to listen to as much variety as possible so as to stimulate the musical imagination. All instrumentalists can learn from singers, but brass players can probably learn the most. Tito Schieper is certainly close to the top of my own list of important musical influences. So, if you're a brass player, the next time you hear a music coach or a conductor exhorting you to sing, I hope you'll have a better idea what to do. This has been an NEC podcast. You'll find more NEC podcasts at necpodcasts.ca. You can subscribe to all of the NEC's podcasts for free in the iTunes Music Store. Just search for National Arts Center. For free access to over 250 full-length, high-quality recordings of the NEC Orchestra, from Bach to Bartok, check out necmusicbox.ca. Send your comments and questions to necpodcasts at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Goodbye for now from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.
Sospiro. 